Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Welcome back, one and all, for the 17th time to the Triple Threat Theater podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Miller. I'm the other one, Joe Daxberger. <laughs> hey, Dax, what's up? Oh, hey, Millsy. How you doing? Mm, not too bad, not too bad. Mills. Uh-huh. I feel like we've got a wild one ahead of us. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, I feel like we're getting back to our roots a little bit. Mm. Tell me more. If you remember back in the early days, this almost seemed like a horror-themed podcast. That is true. Because the first three episodes, just by chance, all ended up being horror movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's questionable how scary these are, but... Um, I concur. Three uh, horror movies this time around. Quick question. Mm-hmm. When we recorded the first episode... Yep. How many prospected episodes did we have at that time, do you think? I mean, you could go back and listen to that show and find out for sure. It was definitely less than 100 I feel like we had a fair amount already, maybe like in the 70 to 80 range. Okay. Which we've more than doubled at this point. All right. That makes sense. So, yeah. I mean, we were, it was pretty heavy horror anyways, but I wouldn't say predominantly. It just kind of worked out that way. Yeah. I just mean like just by chance we ended up because of the random number generator with like, mm-hmm. you know, our first episode was underwater horror movies, which was because that was the first theme we ever came up with for the show. I think we were talking about Deep Star Six or something, and we decided we should do the podcast. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up with the clowns, the scary clown movies next, just by chance, and then Little Monsters uh, just by chance as well. And I remember when episode three came out... um, Jesse, who co-hosts, sidetracked with me being like, geez, I didn't know this was going to be a horror podcast. (laughs) And I'm like, no, no, it's not, I swear. (laughs) (laughs) Just the nature of the beast. Yeah. But, you know, I'll be honest, I love the horror genre, and I'm, you know, honestly a little excited to get back to it. Yeah, man. It's been a while now. What better theme than murder cars? (laughs) Yeah, so this is Highway to Hell, and we have three evil vehicle movies we sure do uh the average listener could probably guess at least christine and maximum overdrive but then we've also got the lesser known uh the car from 1977 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh i had seen all three of these before oh interesting um maximum overdrive and christine again i feel like pretty well known but uh Friend of the show and former co-host, or guest host rather, Tony Sedani, uh, I think him and I were just looking through Shout Factory's website one night because we both love to collect uh, Blu-rays and um, like horror movies and things. And he came across the car and watched the trailer and like bought it sight unseen, blind oh. buy off of their website, which ain't cheap if you're buying oh. <laughs> direct I- from Shout Factory or one of these sites without a uh, sale going on. 
I owe him a high five for that one. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, you know what? I think I have that movie on a hard drive somewhere. I'll watch it too. Oh. And, okay. um, you know, I won't say quite yet my feelings on it. But, yeah, I had seen all three. Uh, how about you? I'm going to preemptively say I've seen none of them. Really? There's a good chance I saw Christine, but I just don't remember. I, I didn't remember a damn thing about it. Wow, you'd never seen Maximum Overdrive. Uh, I'm not even completely sure I'd heard of it. Certainly after watching it and then reading about it, it was completely off my radar. Never heard of it like... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, you were the one who came up with this uh, trio of movies for us to do. Uh, I could have just been poking around, but I don't. I might have just seen Maximum Overdrive somewhere, but it was certainly... It was one of those movies, like, if you told me... Like, is there a movie called Maximum Overdrive? I probably would have said, yeah, but I wouldn't have been able to tell you a thing about it. Wow. I know. Yeah, this was definitely your list. <clears throat> I believe it, but I mean, plenty of lists have come up where, you know, I'd know of, I'd think of one thing, which I'm sure in this case was Christine, and then just kind of connected the dots from there. Wow. So three first time watches. That's I, fascinating. I want to, I want to say I've seen Christine, but it was like a new experience for me watching it because. Mm-hmm. I feel it just feels like one of those ones because it's like certainly popular, but eh, I don't really don't know, man. It could just been one. My memory's so bad, anyways. But it could have been one I seen, you know, when I was a kid. Maybe mm-hmm. I feel like it's I, slightly lesser John Carpenter, and that's not like my opinion. Just because you know, when you hear John Carpenter's name, you think of like Halloween and mm-hmm. the Thing. Um, and I feel like Christine is like, you know, just a, a few steps behind those. Um, I remember the first time I watched it, I think was maybe, you know, it's not one that I saw like when I was young or anything, but, uh, you know, at some point I really got into John Carpenter and I was like, I want to watch all of his movies. And I think that might've been the first time I watched it. And I was amazed how good a movie about a, a a car that comes to life and kills people could be. (laughs) Just call it a murder car, please. Yeah, yeah, murder car movie. Okay. Not all murder car movies created equal, though, as we'll hear. But <laughs> <laughs> there, there are levels of murder car. Yeah. Um, you know, I I don't know why. Well, I guess I kind of know why. But like, uh, you know, watching these movies about cars that kill people. Are there any particularly harrowing, like? road movies or scenes that involve cars and driving that you can think of for you in cinema? Because I know there's a big one for a lot of people. I've talked to many people who, like, this freaks them out. And I know specifically my sister, uh, after seeing one of the Final Destination movies, it's not the first one, um, there's a scene where... Are you familiar with Final Destination? Have you ever seen it? I am. I think I I have seen a few of them. I'm going to say it's like the second one. It yeah, opens second with or that third log one. truck thing. Yeah, so it's like a truck that's got it's just like got a bunch of like cut uh, like chopped down trees on it. Mm-hmm. And like the supports break and the logs come flying out and smash all these cars and stuff. And I know like particularly my sister says that anytime she sees a truck with a load of shit like that on it, she gets the hell away from it because of that movie, but Nice. Is there anything for you um, that particularly comes to mind? I don't, I don't think so. Um, this might be just because I rewatched it recently, but um, 
while I was watching these movies, it just made me think of Breakdown a lot. Mm. The Kurt Russell film. Which, I love me some Breakdown. That is a great movie. I think it's underrated as hell, and you know, not a lot of people have seen it. I feel like in my life, I always talk about it, and people be like, oh, what's that movie? Oh, i never seen it. Yeah, it's definitely um, one of those for me where I've always liked it, and I feel like not a ton of people know it. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is set in cars, and, you know, a lot of the plot is centered, you know, starts right off centered around driving, so. Mm-hmm. I feel like I just watched it recently just for fun anyways, but... um. Funny story about that one, even, I first saw that in high school, mm-hmm. um, during, like, the high school I went to was a trade school, so we would spend two weeks in classes, two weeks in shop, yeah. so this is how I became friends with Tony and Joel, because we were in the same uh, graphic design shop, mm-hmm. and prep junior year, maybe senior year, our teacher just came in one day and was like, we got to watch this movie. I rented it over the weekend and it's great. So I need you guys to watch it. So we like, what? He like grabbed the cart with like the VHS player and we like posted up and watched a breakdown in the middle of shop class. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's more stories of our, our times in shop class. Cause it was, uh, it was like romper room, but <laughs> that was one that always, that movie I'll always think of like back to shop. Cause that's where I first saw it. Mm, like, fascinating. You know, at ten thirty on a Tuesday, we were watching Breakdown. <laughs> the movie that that kind of happened with for me, where I saw it in school for the first time, and I I still love it, is uh, Twelve Angry Men. Mm, Watched that one. in a high school like social studies class, and it's so, one of those things where like we were watching the original, and it's like an older movie, mm-hmm. black and white, and like most people in class probably didn't care, but I just sat there like riveted by it. Mm-hmm. And just went on to, like, love it, not even knowing at the time that it was, uh, like, a well-respected or well-regarded movie. Nice. And just as the years went by, realizing more and more, like, how, you know, how much of a milestone it is and everything. And That's cool, because that. you'll, you'll, you'll always think to seeing it in school. Yeah. yeah. Uh, switching gears a little. Ha. Huh. With the car puns. <laughs> Very good. I mean, I'm not sure if I could pull any more of those off, but <laughs> I'll take that one. Uh, there is one thing when it comes to, like, me and you and, like, fandom and things we're into mm-hmm. that we probably couldn't be more polar opposites on. Oh. What's this? Uh, cars. Oh, sure. <laughs> I am a car guy. I would say effectively, you are not. Yeah, no. I recently got a new car, and mm-hmm. um, you know, <laughs> I'm so disinterested that like when people find <laughs> out that I got a new car, and they're like, "Oh, how do you like the car?" I'm yeah. just like, "I don't know how to answer that. It's a fucking yeah. car. It gets me where I'm going." <laughs> right. To you, like car is, you know, it's a box utility that takes you places. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> now, me, like, I come from like a family of car nuts, and I've been going to car shows since I was a little kid. You know, I used to have a collection of car magazines. I used to buy like three to four of the different like car magazines a month and kept them. And then my walls were covered with cars. You know, I used to tinker on cars with my dad. Who are you? My uh, buddies in high school used to like fix cars up with. So it was like, it's always been like a big part of my life. Um, You know, it's something like I I totally enjoy just like old cars, new cars, custom cars, you know, like a little bit of everything. And then you just have no interest. 
And that's so fine. you were a regular Arnie Cuntingham. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well played. <laughs> so, you know, this this episode excited me for a number of reasons. Just because, like, movies I hadn't seen, cars, and, um, you know, and, and back to the horror. So hmm. it checked off a lot of boxes for me. Yeah, for me, it's just, you know, they're horror movies to some degree. Uh, the cars really <laughs> make no difference to me. Like, it it'll probably it would probably surprise the average person to know how big of a Fast and the Furious fan I am when I do not yes. give a fuck about cars. <laughs> right. Like, there's, there's like, a, I don't know if it's a Venn diagram or something of Fast and Furious movies, or like, what people like, and then you're just kind of, like, off to the side here. It's like... It's all about I like the family. When Rock sweats and yells at people. Right. <laughs> That's what I like. And people people say their family, and it's like this other giant part where it's like the cars are cool. <laughs> I like people who aren't very good actors pretending to love one another un- unconditionally. <laughs> That's what I dig. <laughs> oh, we'll have to we'll have to center a future episode around around that. If we haven't already, there has to be an episode with some Fist and the Furious in it. I'll make that happen. <laughs> Duly noted. <clears throat> Duly noted. <laughs> All right. Uh, with that said, you want to oh. dive right into our first film? Yes, please. So from 1997, or yeah, 1997, from 1977, uh, we have The Car. Hello? Wait, parents' room, please. Hello, Wade. It's me, baby. No, I'm home. Uh, Chaz went over to his place. He said he'd be back in a few minutes. Uh, Wait, uh, no, I'm all right. I'm all right. Listen to me. Listen to me. As I was coming up to the house, that crazy wind came up. Uh, it almost blew me off my feet. I, Wade, I, I, I think I hear the engine of that damn car. Wade, it uh, sounds so weird. Wait, I'm scared. No, I promise you I won't go out. Tell me what to do, baby. I, I, uh, uh, uh. Which um, stars James Brolin, who mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, his son Josh Brolin, big name. I feel like James Brolin is like or was like a big deal of an actor but when i looked him up his uh filmography was kind of sparse and because i was going into this like for the second viewing thinking like what was james brolin doing making the car Mm. but uh yeah i don't know it doesn't seem that far (laughs) below his pay grade now that i look at his filmography again without knowing better like i don't know if was he married to someone more famous because i would have said james brolin was like a huge movie star I don't, I don't know. Like, when I looked up his film credits, um, you know, it wasn't a huge list because he's been around acting for a long time. A fair amount of the stuff he's done has been in, like, the last 10, 15 years. But you would think of him as more of, like, a classic actor. Yeah, for sure. But, like, the biggest names, or at least the things that jumped out to me, like, maybe there's a couple of dramas in there I'm not familiar with and didn't jump out to me. But the big ones for me were Westworld and the Amityville Horror. Which, you know, the Amityville oh, okay. Horror, very well-known horror movie, and, like, within the genre, one that a lot of people like. But then, like, Westworld, like, you know, it's got the TV show now, but 
Mm-hmm. I like the Westworld movie, but I don't feel like it's a time-honored classic or anything. Yeah, yeah. it's like, It feels like much more of a cult classic, if anything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like those were the big ones for me. So mm-hmm. I had to do a little reality check there when I looked him up and saw that. But Okay. I mean, I'd say he's the only star in this movie, right? Well, did you recognize anybody else? Um, no. Well, you got Ronnie Cox, who is like the thin blonde police officer. Oh, he's kind of like a that guy actor. Yeah, he was in Deliverance and he's in Beverly, the Beverly Hills Cop series, I think, not just the first one. And he's also in RoboCop, um, among other things. But he is like a character actor, not like a leading man like James Brolin. Uh-huh. And then uh, the one other person I definitely noticed, couldn't remember where the fuck I'd seen him and I had to look him up, but um, R.G. Armstrong, who plays Amos, the like kind of womanizing old man who they lock up and then comes to help him with the dynamite at the end. Oh, okay. Yep, um, yep. He's one of those that guy actors and he's like the general that is hardly in the movie Predator at all. Oh, yes. Which is like where I recognize his face from. But then he's also in Lone Wolf McQuaid, which you and I oh. watched and reviewed for the Sidetracked podcast a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. And he's also one of the villains in Dick Tracy, among other things. But he's like another guy who's been around for a long time and he's kind of like a character actor. Huh. All right. All right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, not like huge names or anything. I'm not like, yeah, Ronnie Cox and R.G. Armstrong, duh. But, <laughs> right. you know. Couple right. other people I at least recognized. All right, all right. <laughs> uh, Milzy. Yeah. I'm going to affectionately refer to this movie as Car Jaws for the rest of the night. <laughs> well, why don't you give the people a synopsis? There's not much to uh, <laughs> to sum up. Honestly, it's like a small, dusty town. Like. Think along the lines of Tremors, but not quite that small of a town. But like in the middle of the desert. Basically, just so wherever a car could drive around, there would be big plumes of dust behind it to look kind of interesting. <laughs> and this black car with, like, uh, tinted windows so you can't see inside just starts running people down, like, r- seemingly randomly. And then before you know it, the local law enforcement is getting involved and trying to stop it. And, you know, they shoot the car but it's like bulletproof and they shoot the windshield and the, the glass is bulletproof. Mm-hmm. And then when somebody finally gets a glimpse inside, they realize oh, there's nobody driving the car. It's, it's really it. Like, yeah, it kind of is like jaws and that, you know, like a shark, it wants to eat. <laughs> like right. there's right. no motive behind the shark aside from just, Hey, there's people here because it's like a yeah. populated beach. I will eat them. Right. Mayhem. And the car like, it's not eating people, but it really is just kind of randomly attacking people. You see a little bit of personality in it here and there where, like, it attacks, like, a, a whole bunch of teachers and children who are, like, rehearsing some parade they're going to put on or something. And when the car attacks, they all run and hide in the cemetery, and the car, like, refuses to enter the cemetery mm-hmm. for some reason. Which Ronnie Cox tries to explain later, but I didn't really understand. He's like, it's a sacred place or it's consecrated or something, so it wouldn't go in. But then, like, the car also seems to hold grudges because when it won't go into (laughs) the the cemetery, uh, James Brolin's character's girlfriend, who's one of Uh the teachers, like, basically starts to get smart-alecky with the car and, like, calls it. the shit out of it. 
Yeah, she like calls it a bunch of names and like makes fun of it for being afraid to enter the cemetery. So it like singles her out and attacks her in her home later, kind of as revenge. Mm-hmm. Or 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 uh, drives drives slash jumps through her house. Yeah, and through her, and then right out the back and keeps mm-hmm. going. Yeah, which is kind of surprising, and I had forgotten about that because you typically expect like, you know, it's James Brolin is like single dad with two daughters and. They play up the angle of like, oh, the school teacher is now his new girlfriend and like he's thinking about marrying her and will the girls, his daughters like her and all this stuff. And you definitely expect her to be in danger. But like by the end of the movie, they, you know, the yeah. the terror is over. They hug in front of a sunset and credits. Mm-hmm. But she just gets killed at yeah. the end of the second act. Like the and car actually, just plasters her. <laughs> yeah, it, they do a like decent job of like having the daughters not be a fan of her. And then they switch that up because once she like kind of saves everyone at the graveyard. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, that's like a nice moment. The, the daughters hug her and the whole thing. But man, once she gets home, you see those headlights. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> and that horn. <laughs> <laughs> the most annoying car uh, horn like, in the world. Oh, she's done. I was like, car jaws is going to get her. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's surprising because I feel like that doesn't happen often where, like, the main love interest dies in that way. Like, maybe dying in the beginning of a movie to set off, like, revenge of the lead. But, yeah, she just dies seemingly randomly and, like, avoidably in the the end of the second act. Yeah, but you're right. It definitely, uh, it targeted her. It did hold a grudge. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I... Even at the end of the movie, like I said, I had seen this before. First time I watched it, really didn't like it and just wrote it off as like, yeah, that's just some old piece of shit that nobody knows about. Mm-hmm. I'll say that I enjoyed it more this time and maybe because I feel when I watch a movie knowing that I'm going to be reviewing it, maybe I like, maybe I pay attention a little more and like try and put the pieces together a little more, you know, so that I'm at least thinking like, okay, I'm going to have to talk about this movie. So, right. Let's like dig in. Um, like I don't know exactly what it is, but I did feel like I enjoyed it more this time. But I still don't really understand it. Like you keep waiting to find out, like oh, it's possessed by this person who has something against mm-hmm. someone in the town or something like that. Right. But um, yeah, it's kind of weird. So, you know, like I said, it's very Jaws like. It's like a mm-hmm. force of nature just tearing through a town. I yep. think the only instances you get of any kind of story would be the grave part where like clearly this thing won't drive through a graveyard to kill people. Yeah. And at the very end, spoiler alert, where it gets blown up with a shitload of dynamite that it like kind of has like a a explosion in the fire. Like I think they kind of allude to that. It's supposed to be like a face in the fire. Yeah. It's sort of like, like but a, it's 1977, so they couldn't really pull it off, I'm guessing. Yeah, like a flaming demon face in the fire or something like that, which I guess is just supposed to insinuate like it's evil and right. maybe because like, you know, the dead are blessed or something, then it couldn't go in the, the cemetery. Yeah. But like of all things, if like evil is going to manifest itself and attack the town, why a car and why this specific car? It, it just... There's never an explanation. It's so weird. No, there, there is not. And and just to even touch on the car part, 
I like this car is very weird. The look of it, mm-hmm. which I did some research, which was exciting for me because, again, <laughs> n- not a thing you'll be into. But this car, the car itself was like designed and made by George Barris, who's like a super famous car customizer from like 50s, 60s, 70s. Mm-hmm. You would know him. He made the Batmobile mm-hmm. from the Bat- Batman TV show. Mm-hmm. He did, um, I believe he did Kit from Knight Rider. He did the... Uh, Munsters car from the Munsters. So basically any recognizable car from like the 60s and 70s. A lot of like the TVs ones. He did like the Monkeys weirdo car. (laughs) He did the Green Hornet car. So like he was like the man to go to for just custom cars in general, like a big name and then lots of TV and movie stuff. So when I read that, I did like all the research of like, because looking at the thing, it's super weird. Doesn't look like any car anyone would know, I think, because... It's got a lot of work done to it, the whole front end. It's got like these giant bumpers on the front and back, which I guess is just made for murder. <laughs> you know, it's got like real funky headlights and crazy fenders, and then the, the top is chopped like a whole lot. It's actually, uh, I believe it's a Lincoln Town Car or something. Lincoln Continental Mark III yeah. is what I have written down here. Now, yeah, if you look at... The cars side by side, the real one and the movie one, you can tell like they put a serious amount of work into changing that. So seeing this movie, it like excited me to see like, oh, sweet. It's like a custom car. It's not just like some black jalopy or anything. (laughs) So it just, you know, it helped even more once I did the research. So I actually like that. But the thing is fucking bonkers looking. It almost has. Okay, so I'm looking at a picture of Lincoln Continental Mark III on my phone right now. And it definitely is boxier than the one in the in the movie looks. Yes. The one in the movie has more of a rounded feel with a bigger yeah. grill in the front, I think. Because it's even, the grill is different, but that kind of echoes the real car. But the, f- the fenders and what they call like the belt line, which is kind of like the middle line on a car, they raise that all the way to the windows. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes the whole sides of it look taller. And the chop is, the, the top is a whole bunch lower. So yeah, it's like it almost, a funky looking car. It almost gave me the impression of like a hearse without the extended yeah. like rear to put the coffins in. So, you know, I thought that was cool. You know, that, like I said, excited me to see them putting like a bunch of money into like making like an iconic looking car. Mm-hmm. And I think from what I read, I believe there's one, there's like a maybe two decent ones from the production, but w- one of them is maybe even one is the only one left that's in like a private collection somewhere. From what I read, they made four of them for the movie. Um, three were like stunt cars that were destroyed during production, and mm-hmm. one remains in a private collection. That's what Wikipedia said. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, I read that too. I'll say for sure, one of the ones that is destroyed is mm-hmm. maybe one of my favorite scenes I've ever seen in a ridiculous old B movie. Because hmm, that when the car is like barreling down the highway at like a couple of cop cars, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it just flips itself. Oh right! <laughs> it, 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 it uses itself. itself as like a like a bowling ball <laughs> to like crush the right. cars, and then they just cut back after it's like it's trashed, rolling down the highway. 
smashes into like one or two police cars and then it just cuts to the next frame where it's driving away perfectly repaired mm-hmm. right after it does. Yeah, that made me smile. Well, if you're an evil car, you ain't shit unless you can repair yourself with magic. Of course, yeah. True true, true that, Milzy, <laughs> as we'll come to find out tonight. <laughs> true, yeah. But yeah, like, as far as the film goes, we've talked about how it doesn't have a whole lot of, mm-hmm. like, logic behind it. But um, just what did you think of the movie in general? Like, did you enjoy it? Were you bored I, by it? No, I enjoyed it. It's ridiculous. It's like it feels very seventy seven. Um, the dialogue is super weird. Like there's a couple different scenes early on when that one like hitchhiker gets killed, but like mm-hmm. leading up to that, he's like fighting with that guy at the house and he's talking about making fart music or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, just like some of the random things I wrote down. Later on, there's some lady like after the car takes off, just it cuts to this one lady that just screams cat poo at it. <laughs> like this, I was like, even as I'm writing these things as notes, I was like, damn. I was like, what's going on with the dialogue <laughs> in this movie? Yeah. That being said, I mean, I did enjoy it. It's this kind of conversation. I don't know. We have off the show and on the show maybe about like movies being ambiguous mm-hmm. with their meanings or. Uh, Whatever. So I don't really mind it too much. I mean, I could see what they were going for with the with the uh, cemetery scenes and the final scene. So they're just trying to say it's some evil spirit in car form. Yeah. So it's just it's just weird to stop and think like why a car like it would have been nice if there was some explanation for that. Although this is a movie that I didn't leave it thinking like, oh, the only thing missing would be a good explanation. (laughs) Like this movie has plenty of problems. Sure. You know, it's not something where I do dwell on, like, yeah. the, the mystery of it. Mm-hmm. I'll say that, like, it feels like it's very reserved with, like, any kind of violence. Like, the worst you see is, like, you know, those people go over the guardrail in the very beginning on their mm-hmm. bicycles. Or, um, like, I think when the guy with the the French horn gets run over... Um, it's just so dusty because it's out in the desert that like you don't see any carnage. And even like when uh, the the girlfriend, the the female lead, gets killed in her house, it's like you see the car smash through the house, but you don't see any aftermath or anything. Right. It almost feels like this was trying to be like a like a mainstream movie uh, that not just genre fans would want to see. Mm-hmm. But I feel like what it's really missing would be some good, like, kill shots and, like, blood smeared on the hood kind of stuff to Mm. make a genre fan like me sit up and take notice a little more. That's a good point. Because it's just kind of, I don't know, wishy-washy, middle of the road. It's not really scary. There's nothing really cool in it, like, um, special effects-wise or anything. It's just a car driving around. Yeah, that's true. You know, we'll talk about this in a minute, but you look at something like Christine and it's at least got like, you know, like the scene where the car, you watch the car put itself back together with special effects, like practical effects. And that's neat. And it adds like something to the air of the film that this is missing. Mm-hmm. This is just generic black car drives around and kills some people until they use some like half cocked plan at the end to like <laughs> blow it up. Oh, and it's half cocked. All right. Yeah, like the whole final scene, they don't tell you what they're going to do, but like I had no idea. I had forgotten because, you know, like I say, I 
watched this a few years ago and didn't love it, so I didn't have a real clear memory. But, like, they're just running around and trying to get wires here and there and burying a bunch of dynamite, and I'm like, mm-hmm. this is awful complicated and convoluted for what eventually right. happens, which is the yeah. car drives to a random spot, and then they blow up some dynamite. and Yeah, they get it to play chicken somehow near the cliff edge. Yeah. And then they blow it up with dynamite. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's... The whole thing just feels a little half-assed to me. Um, I did read uh, there's some kind of cut of the movie where it ends with seeing the car like driving through L.A. after it's been blown up. Hmm. Well, the final, like the end credits of the movie, if you watch through them, is like your super-duper close-up camera shot of a tire like in front of the tire to the with the credits in front of it where you can't even really tell what you're looking at and then like the camera cuts to a different angle and you do see that it's a tire driving through a city oh. like on a on an overpass or something oh. i don't think they ever pull out to show the full car but i guess that's the insinuation that you're seeing the car driving through a city mm-hmm. oh, okay. i don't know if there's a version where they show more of that or it's more explicit or maybe From even I- in the movie before the credits or something from what I read, it said uh, a different cut, but yeah, I didn't watch the credits, so. Yeah, like the credits started, and I'm sitting there, and I'm looking at it, and it's just like these kind, it's like mostly black with like a little bit of light on one edge of the screen, and like some lines in the middle, and I'm like, what am I even looking at? And then eventually it changes, and you can see, oh, that was like the lines on the tire, and I was seeing just like a little sliver of like the city over on the side. Mm-hmm. But again, there might be a different version. I yeah. don't know. I would be kind of curious to see like a a well done, like far better remake of this movie. Well, Joe Dex. Oh. Are you aware that there is a sequel that came out, well, according to the internet, this year? No. Called The Car Road to Revenge. Oh boy. <laughs> let me let me get this n- new episode idea going. <laughs> Yeah, I was a little surprised to see that, but apparently it's actually a sequel to this movie. I'm sure it's like a direct-to-video kind of thing or direct-to-streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't look into it or read anything about it, but I did note that there is a movie listed as being a 2019 film. All right, all right. The Car Road to Revenge. I like it. I mean, what kind of... <laughs> does does a car that murders people on purpose really need revenge? I mean, it got revenge on the the female lead for calling it a pussy at the graveyard. I guess. (laughs) I don't know. How much are you in the business of revenge if you're just out there to kill anyways? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I just, uh, I don't know. It. Like I said, I don't feel a burning desire for explanation. I feel like it could make the movie more enjoyable for me. Uh, Maybe the sequel gives a I, I would bet you anything that a sequel made nowadays gives a backstory about like the demon that possesses the car and all this shit but, oh for sure yeah absolutely so hmm. i don't know anything else to say about this one no i think we've about covered it, it like you said it, there's not much to it there's if you really didn't not. if you didn't watch the uh, credits did you see that there was a technical advisor credit for the uh the leader of the church of satan <laughs> oh can't say i did <laughs> yeah there's a quote at the beginning of the film and I, I didn't write it down but i guess it's a quote from him and i don't know what he did to be a technical advisor but uh yeah oh anton levey leader of wow. the church of satan technical right, advisor that... credit on the car <laughs> 
that one took a turn. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, enjoyed it more than the first time, which wouldn't be hard because I really just did not care the first time when I watched mm-hmm. it. But, uh, you know. Fair enough. Not taking my world by storm or anything. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, moving up in the world a little bit, in my opinion, from 1983. Next up, we have Christine. Mm-hmm. Don't be scared. <laughs> I'm scared for you, man, for what's happened to you. It's this fucking car. I know you're jealous. We'll always be friends as long as you stick with me. And you know what happens to shooters who don't. No. What does happen? Well, let's not kid each other, Dennis. Who are the shitters? All of them. Marty. Lee's on your side. She cares a lot about you. <laughs> she does. Yeah. Hey, don't you like this beer? I thought you like beer. Do you hear what I just said? Let me tell you a little something about love, Dennis. It has voracious appetite. It eats everything. Friendship. Family. It kills me how much it eats. But I'll tell you something else. You feed it right, and it can be a beautiful thing, and that's what we have. You know, when someone believes in you, man, you can do anything, any fucking thing in the entire universe. And when you believe right back in that someone, then watch out, world, because nobody can stop you. Then nobody, ever. And you feel this way about Lee. (laughs) What? Fuck no. Talking about Christine, man. No shitter ever came between me and Christine. Now you watch this. As mentioned, directed by John Carpenter, one of my favorite directors. Oh, same here. The God himself. <laughs> um, based on a uh, Stephen King story. And uh, written, the screenplay written by a guy named Bill Phillips, who I looked up and has seemingly done nothing anybody's ever heard of aside from this movie. All right. All he right. has like 17 credits and they're all like forgotten to uh, TV movies except for this. <laughs> Ooh. But um, Ouch. Man, I can't believe you at least have no recollection of seeing Christine before, whether or not you had ever seen it. But I gotta say, I, I mean, especially like the end, like that was all new to me. I mean, it could have been one like I've seen bits and pieces of it before. I, I really don't know, Mills, but <laughs> there's so much in it that, you know, it would have been one of those ones I sure I had seen it. Until I watched it. Yeah. So. Well, for me, like I said, love John Carpenter. Love a lot of his movies. Um, While not one of my absolute favorites, I honestly think this is one of his best films. Like, Mm -hmm. probably top five John Carpenter movies for me. I just think it's really well made. And uh, it's surprisingly effective, again, considering it's about an evil car. I mean, this is a great movie. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, if this is first time view, like, what was your takeaway from it? I mean, Millsy, this is a great movie. I mean, it it looks good. It's well directed. I like the cast. Uh, again, the car is cool. Um, you know, for 
I almost feel like for as hard as it is to make like an interesting murder car movie, you know, <laughs> like they, they certainly cover it. You know? Yeah. I like a lot of everything that happens in it. It's got great practical effects. Dear mm-hmm. Lord. So good. Yeah. I feel like the standout thing that I always remember super fondly about this movie is the scene where uh, Christine repairs herself in the middle of the film. Mm-hmm. which if i remember correctly was done using like uh they use like vacuums to like like vacuum hoses to like uh like pull in the metal and crunk like crinkle it and then they played it in reverse to show it like popping right. back out from what i read something earlier which was just maybe on wikipedia but it said something like there was different versions but one part was like they basically like kind of had a plastic version of the car Mm-hmm. That they attached like hydraulic things to that they could pull in at certain points, mm-hmm. and the same thing they played it backwards. But and the crazy thing is, since I love that sequence so much, and I really think it adds, because you know, like we saw in the car, um, the movie, the car, not in Christine, mm. that um, you know, you could get away making an evil murder car movie without like actually seeing anything supernatural, because like the car in the car you know windows are tinted black unlike christine so you can't even tell if there's anybody in there but you just know that someone's driving it and like the most creepy thing that it does is like it opens its door by itself because it doesn't have door handles yeah but um like i've really i feel like it really adds something a the uh the music Mm -hmm. in the movie um this movie kind of has like a bumblebee from the transformers movies thing where um, Christine will play music that is like if someone's trying to break into the car, the radio will come on and play. Um, they keep on knocking, but they can't come in, you know. <laughs> right, right. Um, so there's like that element of it. And then like actually seeing the car do something mm-hmm. like supernatural where she puts herself back together. And the crazy thing to me was I read that John Carpenter didn't even want to show that in the movie. I don't know if mm. it was just supposed to be even more mysterious that way, mm-hmm. but essentially he watched a rough cut of the movie and decided to go back and add it in post-production because, oh, nice. you know, at that point he changed his mind and decided it needed to be there. I mean, it does look great. It only lasts like 12 seconds or whatever, but mm-hmm. from what's there, it looks so good. Yeah, she does it a little bit again at the end as well yeah. during the big fight with the right. like that piece of construction equipment or whatever yeah bulldozer mm-hmm. there's a couple even a couple cool scenes like where she's all banged up and she like kind of pulls into the shadows and then comes out all fixed up mm-hmm. which is just like kind of like easy camera tricks almost to you know sell <clears throat> that as well that yeah. i like a lot well unlike the car which had four different versions of the car mm-hmm. um so christine is a 58 plymouth fury or some form of that car Correct. Um, they apparently made it primarily using Belvedere's and Savoy's. Yeah, the uh, Fury was like kind of like a special edition of those cars, mm-hmm. so they were rare. So I and think so they just kind of dressed up the standard ones. When preparing to make the movie, John Carpenter put out ads looking for those cars, and they ended up buying twenty-four of them, and out mm. of them, they made seventeen Christines for the movie. Yeah. So That's they had awesome. plenty of cars to trash for this and, film. And let me tell you, they sure do. Yeah. Because, I mean, one of them gets vandalized all to hell. Just uh, they completely got that fireball demolished. one. Yeah. You know, uh, which was a great scene. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Well, there's the one when it kills kind of the chubby guy in the gang where it, the car like rams itself into a space too small for it oh, to crush him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. Um, mm-hmm. At the end, during the climax when it's fighting the bulldozer, uh, there had to have been like three different cars destroyed during that scene alone. Because yeah, she kept sure. on like smashing into things and then fixing herself and then getting crushed and fixing herself. And... Yep. You're getting like ran over a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, I forgot to mention during the car, but something that this movie doesn't have to rely on that the car did was just sped up film to oh, yeah. make it like look fast or intimidating. Well, Where? the car was filmed out in like big open spaces and there were like chase scenes where mm-hmm. the cops are chasing it or whatever. Yeah. This is more like that was almost more like a like a Jaws, like an action adventure kind mm-hmm. of film. And Christine definitely feels more like a slasher movie. Oh, yeah. But with a car. But where it's more like, about her creeping around in the dark at night and, and like coming up on people and doing them harm. That was like some of my favorite stuff, how it kind of like just like skulked around real slowly. Mm-hmm. Like like the acting of the car. He did they did so good with that. You know, like just those little like tiny movements it would do. Mm-hmm. And so slowly, it was just like the sense of dread in Christine was great. I yeah. Thought. Like it made it feel like that is that's creepy and and when i liked the the car itself in in the movie the car mm-hmm. cuz it was weird and custom like even this one was just like a pristine gorgeous like bright red old school like with the fins and everything mm-hmm. man they made that car creepy as hell just by <laughs> the the setting and the movie and just the whole deal yeah no i concur so good Similar, I had kind of forgotten about this from the last time I saw it, but um, because the whole thing is in this movie, you have the nerd um, who's like kind of beaten down by his parents um, and, you know, he's he wants his own car and he decides to buy Christine, who's like a wreck and put her together himself. And there's like the backstory about the previous owner of the car and how he died in it and everything. Mm -hmm. And it almost gives you the impression that the car is possessed by the previous owner, especially the way, you know, uh, as soon as um, Arnie, the main character, like starts to change and become more cool looking with it when he's got the car and everything, he starts calling people shitters, which is obviously yes. a thing from the original owner and his brother. Right. Um, and it definitely feels like he's being possessed by a person, but they do show in the movie that the car is straight evil right from the beginning. Like it comes right right off the line. Yeah. Off the line and attacks someone and kills someone. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not that different from the movie, the car in that there's not a whole lot of explanation. It's just, there's this car is a bad penny, you know, (laughs) I'd say even less in this one. I mean, I feel like they kind of try in the car Mm -hmm. where this one, they don't even, yeah, but like I say, I don't think I dwell on it as much because it almost feels like they're trying to get across that the car is like possessed by the previous owner or something, even though I guess that's not really the case. But mm-hmm. the funny thing is, I looked into it a little bit, and um, I guess this movie, they made it before the book was even out. Like Stephen King passed off his manuscript to the studio, and then they made it based on that, and I guess it came oh. out around the same time oh. as the book. But in the book, it actually is uh, the car is possessed by the previous owner. 
Oh. And okay. so the movie like kind of has that element, but it feels like John Carpenter like didn't really want to go that way, so it's kind of half and half, you know? Yeah, for sure. But um huh. speaking okay. I of mean, hmm? it doesn't ruin anything for me either way. So. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, me neither. But speaking of Arnie, uh, what'd you think of the cast of this one? And did you know anybody aside from Harry Dean Stanton? Uh, well, you know, I was excited to see your boy, Harry Dean Stanton. Of course. Um, I actually did know Arnie because I think I'm the only person that likes Jaws 2, <laughs> which he is in. Yeah. Um, yeah, you may be. Don't love that one myself. <laughs> so... Uh, I knew him from that, and also, only in like a handful of scenes is like young Kelly Preston, which took me a minute mm. to realize, but she's in there as one of the Artie's friend there. She's a girl that kind of goes after him. Mm-hmm. And I think that was it. Yeah, Arnie, I didn't, I I didn't really know. Um, he's in a couple of things like Jaws Two or Dressed to Kill that I've seen, but. Uh, Interesting looking him up. He's more known as a director now. Um, he directs a ton of television, including he's done Dexter, Fargo, Better Call Saul, The Strain, Legion, like a bunch of modern oh, shows. Wow. Oh, yeah. Which he's is interesting. Guy. Aside from Harry Dean Stanton, again, kind of like uh, the older dude in, in the last movie who I recognized from like Predator, Robert Prosky, the guy who is who owns the shop where uh, Arnie keeps Christine, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I recognized him immediately, but was like, God, who the hell is this guy? I just not too long ago rewatched the movie Miss Doubtfire, and he's in that. He oh. plays the television executive at the uh, the television studio where Robin Williams's character works, like during the day. Okay, but mainly I remember him. As he's the horror host dressed up as Dracula in Gremlins 2, who works in the Clamp oh, building. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I saw Gremlins 2 and I was like, that's who that is. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's cool. And then uh, Robert's Blossom, uh, he played the guy who sold Arnie the car at the beginning, the old man. Mm-hmm. He's another one I recognized. Um, couldn't remember where he was from. Do you know what he is in? Not, not at all. He is the old man that uh, Kevin is afraid of in Home Alone, but then no. comes to his rescue at the end. No way. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Which I thought was kind of cool. I'd be amazed. I'd love to know if that was the only two things he's ever been in. He's been in probably like 15, 20 things based on what I saw. Um, a lot of them I didn't know, but... Uh, I, n- I never would have got that. I didn't, I didn't picture... I didn't recognize him at all. Yeah, I recognized him, but just didn't really know where from. I mean, I might have even just recognized him from Christine and, like, didn't remember his character or something, Man, but... That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I do, like... I, I really like the vibe of this one. And again, how it's not like chase scenes out on country roads and stuff. Right. And it's more of a smaller personal story where, yes, Harry Dean Stanton is like an FBI agent or something who's come to like check on what's going on. But he's only really in like two or three scenes. Right. And it never becomes this like bigger story. It's always just about Arnie and his girlfriend and his best friend. Yeah. I like that because it's not like... Uh... The fuzz isn't, like, muddling up the works. Yeah, and the ending doesn't end up with this big, crazy plot to catch and destroy the car, like in right. the car. <laughs> right, right. 
Yeah, it does. It just feels like more of a personal story and yeah. like a lot of good character development and stuff in this. And I like that. Yeah, I like cool. seeing the transformation that Arnie goes through. It's like, yes, it's about an evil car, but at the same time, it's like taking this guy over and turning oh, yeah. him into a villain. It's like a bad influence, like turns him like from nerd to greaser, like a <laughs> yeah. 50s greaser, just like the car, you know? And just little touches, like the only music that the car plays is like that old school rock and roll. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It's just funny how like, you know, he's got this car. It's like a nice old car and just like nobody likes it. And he's just like, man, nobody likes my car. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like even outside shit. of the fact that it's murdering people, it's just like, I don't know. I found that stuff funny. I just love John Carpenter, you know, mm-hmm. as like uh, the the man and the movie maker, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I think, and this that, felt like him. This felt like a John Carpenter movie. Yeah, it really did. And I think that the car and Christine are a little more comparable than uh, Maximum Overdrive. Like that feels a little bit different than these two movies, which are just about like a single car that's almost possessed or something. Mm-hmm. And I just think Carpenter brings so much to this movie that um, who the hell directed uh, the guy who directed the car is named Elliot Silverstein and had mostly directed like Twilight Zone episodes and Tales from the Crypt. Like, right. I just think that John Carpenter brings something, you know, he's, you know, he's not like an A-list director like Steven Spielberg or something. And probably more of his filmography is unknown to the average person than not. But um, I don't know. I really think that he yeah. he brings a lot uh, oh, to a movie like this. He he's got he's got the skills. I mean, I watched Christine third, just probably for obvious reasons because I was, I had no idea what I was getting into with the other two. But mm-hmm. I was like, uh, even at that point, I was like, oh, I know Christine's good, even though I hadn't seen it yet and wasn't sure if I had seen it. Um, so especially after watching the first two and then to see that and I'm like, oh yes, this is how you do it. <laughs> like, yeah. Cause I watched them all like very close together. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, after the other two and how they are, then get into this, like this feels like the Hollywood movie. It looks like one, the music is there, like the production value and everything. Mm-hmm. It's just got a cool feel. Like it has a little bit, I mean, I think a lot of it comes from Stephen King as well. Because, you know, one thing that doesn't necessarily always translate to his movies because, you know, it's adapted by different people and stuff. But in addition to just being prolific and having a lot of, like, recognizable uh, titles and movies and, and, and books and things, I think he's really good with characters and character development. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's Fair. important for a horror story. Like, that's maybe why part of the reason for me that... I've never really gotten into the slasher genre because it's just like disposable, attractive young people who just get killed off one by one. Mm-hmm. And not to say that like all of the you know horror movies that I like or have way better characters or anything, but something like Christine has that slasher movie vibe. But like the three main characters you really get to know and care about in this, I feel. Yeah, I agree. So I feel like Stephen King brings something like that and just the whole concept of it being like an era movie or a period movie with like a certain era of car and like the old music and the greaser vibe. That stuff all feels very Stephen King to me Mm -hmm. because he's, you know, he's done quite a few period pieces between stuff like Stand By Me and uh, um, the Shawshank Redemption and and like it and the like the Losers Club and it and everything. Yeah. 
So it's a good good one two combo, the two of them. I'd say so. Carpenter I'd say so for sure. King. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting. So a little bit of behind the scenes on this one. Um at the time John Carpenter was not going to make this movie because he was currently developing two other films, which he never made. But one of them did get made, and that was Firestarter, which is also Stephen King. Oh, okay. And the other one is a, he was adapting a book called The Ninja, which after looking at it on Wikipedia, I really want to know more about that story. Oh. <laughs> the cover of the book is just like... Um, a reflection of some people in a katana. And I just did like a brief little read on it, but I was like, man, it would have been great if this got made into a movie by John Carpenter in the 80s. Oh, man. We still have a chance, Millsy, you know. Yeah, I guess that's, you yeah. know, could happen. Write him a letter, some <laughs> snail mail. So also, uh, casting-wise, uh, the studio wanted Scott Bayo and Brooke Shields for the leads. Interesting. <laughs> Uh, but John Carpenter and the people like working on the actual film itself wanted to go with a younger cast. Kevin Bacon auditioned, and it sounded like he was going to play uh, the buddy. Sh- I'm not sure if it was supposed to be. I would imagine the jock, not the yeah. uh, not the main character. But um, he ended up doing Footloose instead. But Kevin Bacon was almost in this. Oh, what a mistake! <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. This one, fun rewatch for me. I, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't necessarily yeah. always jump to mind when I'm thinking of like my favorite Carpenter movies, but it's right. definitely up there. I mean, at its, I mean, I've seen like most of the Carpenter stuff I should have at this point, minus um, Escape from New York. Oh, get I on still it, need man. to see. But um, yeah, I mean, I just always love his movies when I see him, and this is certainly another one. I mean, I think it's just so good. And he, he, made movies at like the perfect time for him where there was plenty of practical effects to go around because mm-hmm. he, he's he got the eye for it you know yeah so I was very very happy especially just because I was like finishing up this episode with that one it was like you know it was great to watch a five star film you know <laughs> yeah always is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. check that one off the list yes sir All right, shall we move on to our third and final film? Yeah. All right, from 1986, we have Maximum Overdrive. Incredible. They want us to feed them. Feed them? Fuck them, let them starve. Half of them's out of gas already. (laughs) Let them starve, won't take long. We can't feel them anyway. We ain't got no power. Oh, shit. Look at the I'll be damned. I'm gonna go turn on the pumps. I just hope none of them left home without their American Express cards. <laughs> Phil? Wait. Wait. You can't do this. It's not a good idea. It's like Neville Chamberlain giving in to the Nazis. I gotta show you something. Come here. Okay. Okay, now you see that one? All right? Yes, I do. Okay, now look. Here's the way I figure it. The big guys, they're heavyweights, okay? Uh-huh. They crash in here, they're gonna break through the floor and end up in the cellar. But that one, that bastard, ain't no reason why he couldn't call in a truck full of napalm and hose this place down. Just take care of yourself, okay? 
What are you gonna do, huh? Run me down? Shit, that'd be like a junkie trying to run down his connection. Uh, written and directed by Stephen King based off of one of his own short stories, Trucks, from his first short story collection, uh, Night Shift, I think? Correct. Yes, I did read that. Um, <laughs> so this one's kind of fascinating. Um, we'll get into Stephen King's feelings on the movie and uh, the circumstances under which it was made. Uh, in a moment, but first let's just talk about the movie itself. Um, I had seen this once before and I remember being very excited to watch it and then was very disappointed. Uh, this is a movie that has a lot of, uh, like cult following, including like one of my coworkers or former coworkers, Mike, I was talking to the other day, who's also a big horror fan was telling me how much he loves this movie and like the minute that it was announced as being released on Blu-ray from Vestron video, like a year or two Mm -hmm. ago, he like went out and pre-ordered it. Um, and you know, probably something he saw when he was younger and has nostalgia for, but yeah, unlike the car, which like rose a few pegs for me on a rewatch, this one, this one, I still just don't really get into. So this movie, I mean, you know, like the episode, this movie's about murder trucks. <laughs> uh-huh. And this one gives plenty of explanation why there's murder trucks, which is that, uh, what is it, Millie? The Earth is in the tail of a comet. Yeah, we pass through the tail of a comet. And, of course, if your planet does that, that clearly would make all mechanical items in the world turn evil. Yeah. There's even some questionable stuff in that explanation, but we'll we'll get into that. Of course. Now, Mills. Uh-huh. This movie introduces a like Mack truck with a custom green goblin front end. Uh-huh. Which I knew was a thing, but didn't know it was in this movie until I watched it. Mm. So I see that. Um, some ways into the movie, you have what I could only describe as maybe like a military issue golf cart <laughs> with a with a ma- machine gun strapped to it uh-huh. that rolls up to the gas station, uh, lights up a whole bunch of people, and then begins to threaten the human still alive by using its horn as Morse code mm-hmm. to which it says basically uh, get out here and fill up these trucks with gas or I'll kill you <laughs> and then you have uh, young Emilio Estevez you see him begrudgingly filling up the tractor trailers with gas and then ACDC's Hell's Bells starts to play. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I said, wait, when I was 12 years old, did I make this movie? <laughs> because that's what this crazy goddamn thing feels like. Something it's that a like, 12-year-old came up with? You know, it's like playing in the toy box. And you know, like, oh, I got this uh, random bulldozer over here and this weirdo G.I. Joe truck here and uh, my Green Goblin and 
yeah, I'm going to throw UFOs in there and some comet action. And, I mean, I almost want to give this one the award for the triple threat, like most bonkers as hell movie ever. It's bonkers as hell. I'll agree with that. Um, thing for me is like the comet explanation. Cool. Fine with that. It works. I'm. That's oh. great. Oh, does it? Uh, just as a broad concept, like we pass through the tail of a comet. So any like the movie could have been we pass through the tail of a comet. So everybody's shoes come to life. Like it doesn't make sense, but that's the explanation okay. you give. And it's like far out and unknown enough that I'm like, OK, that's all I need to go with you. OK, <laughs> OK, OK. Uh, so the the why makes sense to me, but mm-hmm. the how I still have an issue with. So, like, okay, is it mechanical objects or is it, like, electrical Mm, objects? Like, okay, so the majority of the movie takes place at a truck stop. And most of the enemies, like, the things that come to life are big, like, 18-wheeler tractor trailer vehicles. Um, now the short story this is based on is called Trucks. And I don't know how similar it is to that, but it feels like the premise of trucks was that just trucks came alive. And then for the movie, he decided to make it anything mechanical or electronic. Uh And then he still just basically only had trucks come to life. Cause like we see that little golf cart thing with a machine gun mounted on it that you're talking about roll up of its own accord. But then like cars, I don't know if you ever see it like an ice cream truck becomes evil, but then like, the two newlyweds they're driving around after this all like crazy stuff Mm. has happened for a long time and their car never goes crazy none of the cars in the parking lot ever attack the people when they're in the uh in the gas station or the truck stop and like it's not just vehicles because an electric carving knife comes to life at one point and attacks someone and the uh we see that the lights can turn out so i'm guessing Mm -hmm. it's anything electrical the uh, arcade killed that one guy. Yeah, the arcade cabinet comes alive and like shows a bunch of crazy symbols that like scramble a guy's brain and then it electrocutes <laughs> him, like just shoots energy bolts at him. Uh-huh. But then there's a lot of stuff where it's just like, oh, a soda machine somehow has the power to launch soda cans fast enough to like crush somebody's skull, and a lawnmower comes to life and like, it, I'm 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 cool with all of this stuff, but the movie has such a weirdly broad, unexplained concept that just leaves me wondering, like, well, why isn't this attacking someone? Why isn't that mm. attacking someone? They're in a building for the majority of the movie, and, like, the trucks are menacingly driving in circles around them. But what about all the other electronics in that building? Like, why do none of them ever attack them? Why do they, the bad guy energy, like, cars or whatever... Why do they leave the lights on for them all the time? Like, right. you know, it just, it, there's just too many fucking holes in this. Like the concept of the car in the car never really is fully explained, but you know, whatever, I let it go. This movie, I, it's just, there's too many fucking holes in it and it makes it like not a super enjoyable experience for me because I'm always questioning everything. Um, it is so batshit crazy. I will agree because even like watching it, I got like, you know, a little like movie OCD about it. Cause I was like, is it electronics? Like, is it mechanical? Like, cause if you have a thing that's mechanical, say 
like a tractor trailer, like a transmission. Mm -hmm. It needs that human force to like shift, you know what I mean? Versus not like an electronic thing where it's different or even like the golf cart thing with the gun. Yeah. And it would like spin on its own on its like on that like pole it was attached to. Yeah, that's not electronic. It's just no, it's, it's on zero... a pivot so that a human standing there could aim it back right. and forth. Yeah, there's no and like even the trigger part. being pulled. There's nothing electronic in a machine yeah. gun. Exactly. So it was like, you know, as far as like the plot hole aspect of that, it's like huge because it's like, well, what is it? Is it like now it's like are these things telekinetic? Blah blah blah. Like. It would also almost make more sense today because so many more things are electronic versus just mechanical. Yeah, but today we'd be completely fucking hopeless because if you made it like electronics, we there's oh, just it. shit everywhere. Like in the track in, even... in the 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 um the gas station or the the you know the truck stop where they were at the time and during this time period, you know, there were like lights and I guess the electric fucking carving knife, but it's not like there's cell phones everywhere and mm-hmm. like you know tablets and tv screens everywhere or anything all right it was one part i did laugh was when they're towards the end and they go by like the burger joint and the speaker is like just like screaming humans yes or whatever okay so that's something i actually wrote <laughs> down that it's just like you opened this goddamn can of, can of worms yourself stephen king like right. the whole movie you know it's almost like it's supposed to be insinuated that like people are sensed by the electronics or I guess in some weird way that I can't really explain, like the electronics can see people or something. Mm -hmm. So like what was, you never got the impression that the vehicles needed to speak to one another with like a noise, like honking or anything like that's how they communicated with people. So why did the fast food restaurant talk Mm. box shout over and over again, people are here, people are here or whatever. Because who's it communicating with? That's just letting the people know that it's no, it knows they're there. Like, it's just like breaking its own <laughs> rules left and right in this movie. Uh, there are no rules, Billsy. Just none of it makes a fucking lick of sense. Um, and it's one of these weird instances in a movie. Like, I find that, I don't know, something about this kind of bugs me unless it's done really well. Like, this is a big epidemic. Presumably, since the whole world's on the tail of the comet, this is happening everywhere. But Mm -hmm. all we ever see, probably because of budgetary restrictions, is one little community of people um, in a truck stop. And we never get a sense of, like, what's going on out in the world and, like, what kind of crazy chaos this would have caused. Um, And that's a problem for you? I mean, or it's, just it just thing feels, like, feels like short-sighted and just kind of like there's probably a more interesting story out there than a couple of people trapped in a truck stop. Mm. Like mm-hmm. with this premise, you could have done just about anything and it feels like they did almost the most boring thing they could have with it. Right. To just have trucks circle a gas station for three days. Yeah. Just, I don't know. Pretty no. boring and it just feels long in the middle because like not a whole lot is happening. and Right. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Is Stephen King a huge fan of The Simpsons? Uh, I know The Simpsons have referenced and or parodied a lot of Stephen King's okay. stuff, but I don't know why. <laughs> well, just because it seemed random to have, uh, I don't know how to say her name, Yeard- Yeardley Smith. Oh, Yardley Smith? Yeah. Because she was well, the, this was you know, before the, voice the Simpsons. Of Lisa. 
Is it? Yeah, 1986. The Simpsons didn't premiere until like 88 or 89. Okay. I mean, well, maybe, I I don't know like when The Simpsons was on the, was it the Carol Burnett show? Like as shorts Uh, before it it got released? um, Mary Tyler Moore? Nope. It was, uh, God, someone's out here like, no, it was this. Well, I'm sure Brian and Joel are judging me for not remembering this right now. I can't remember. Tracy Ullman. Tracy Ullman. Um, Well, I ask because she was in it. And then in the script, Amelia Westefez's girl just like casually drops a eat my shorts. Oh, I didn't even catch that. I did. So I didn't look to see even if the time caught up. Yeah. I mean, if the, you know, it came out around the same time. Mm -hmm. I guess that makes even less sense now. But I just kind of noticed those two things as being like kind of random. Because like eat my shorts. And then I was like, oh, Lisa Simpson's in this. I was like, uh. So yeah, I guess that does. That's just a coincidence, then. Um, yeah. So the first season was eighty nine ninety. Um, it didn't come on the Tracy Ullman show until eighty seven, which was also after this because oh, this movie came out in eighty six. Oh, so that's that's yeah, random to me. Yardley I Smith, wonder if Eat My Shorts came from this movie. I mean, maybe like, maybe it's possible. Yardley Smith was like, "Oh, I got a good line from Bart Simpson. It was in this movie I was in once." <laughs> Apparently, Yardley Smith like hates this movie. Um, oh, and is like ashamed of being in it at this point. I mean, she's not great in it. Yeah, but I mean, what'd she have to work with? What'd she have to work now, with? Now, if Nancy Cartwright was in the film instead of Yardley Smith, because she does the voice of Bart with the Eat My Shorts, <laughs> like maybe I'd buy that, but. Maybe. I don't know. Just a funny coincidence then. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. Just, I don't know. The movie, the plot isn't very good because, again, it's just a bunch of people sitting around doing nothing and giving you plenty of time to think about how little any of this stuff makes sense. It has, it has that happening vibe, the Shyamalan movie mm-hmm. where it's just like this big crazy event and you're just stuck with a small group of people who you don't like and aren't mm. very interested in. And then all of a sudden the whole thing is over. Like, you know, this movie, like, uh, like even the happening, like you watch the happening end. And in this movie, you watch the characters like get away. Like their plan is there's an Island off the coast, like six miles where no cars are allowed. And the only thing they're concerned with is cars. Like they don't say there's no electricity. So they're going to go get in a sailboat that doesn't have any like electronics or anything, which doesn't even fucking matter because as we've seen, you don't need electronics for this force to take over something. And they're, they're going to sail out to this Island. So the movie ends with them getting on the boat and like sailing and then it just cuts to a black screen and uh god what does it say did i write this down yet <laughs> so movie with this crazy high concept just ends with a black screen and a caption that says <laughs> it's the it's the best caption ever <laughs> ever like they just they got sick of making the movie and were just like yeah uh-huh. put this ending on it i was like when i read that i said where is this scene i want this scene <laughs> i know so the end like the, you watch the movie it's not satisfying and then it ends with a black screen that says this two days after a large ufo was destroyed in space by a russian weather satellite uh, well, that's in quotes, um, which happened to be equipped with a laser cannon and class four nuclear <laughs> missiles. Approximately six days yes. later, the Earth passed beyond the tail of Rhea M, yes. which was the, the comet, exactly as predicted. The survivors of the Dixie Boy are still survivors. Well, yeah. I was like, King, how are you going to talk about Russian weather satellites full of lasers <clears throat> and nukes? Yeah, this would just be like, 
like if you watched the movie Ghostbusters and like Walter Peck releases the ghosts all around the city and you're seeing chaos and then it's like the <laughs> Ghostbusters yeah. pull up to Dana Barrett's apartment building and it uh-huh. cuts to black and it's like the Ghostbusters went to the top floor and they fought a giant marshmallow and saved everybody. And you as the audience would be sitting there like, they did what? <laughs> like, you have to see it. Otherwise, oh. it's just like Russian weather satellite with laser yeah. cannons and class I mean, four nuclear missiles. Yeah. Come on. Like, like, why not even just say like, Russian, you know, space shuttle. Like they got. A, I they think that was them trying thing. to be funny. Like w- it says Russian, of and then course. in quotes, well, weather satellite. Wink, wink. That's like, come on. Like, let's be fair. Stephen King says that he was coked out of his mind when he made this movie, and you can oh, kind of feel it. I believe it. But just, I don't know. Just a terrible ending to a not particularly enjoyable movie. Um, none of the characters are super compelling. Um, Emilio Estevez is like a blank slate in this. There's nothing that interesting about him. Mm-hmm. Him and the the female lead like meet, they have sex, they're in love now. I guess I don't know. <laughs> Very quickly, yeah. Millsy, you know what this movie's chock full of? Hip firing rocket launchers. Oh, that's true. Everybody fires from the hip. A rocket launcher. I mean, and of even course. that is like you know. It's a movie about a bunch of people trapped in a truck stop with evil cars. And it's mm-hmm. like, man, there's nothing interesting that can happen here. Oh, I know. Let's just randomly write in that the creepy weird guy who owns the truck stop is stockpiling tons of weapons so that we can have some <laughs> fucking rocket fire in the movie. It just it feels like it was written to explain away how boring the movie is by having some rockets in it. It's just. It's just a fucking mess, this movie. I don't know. <laughs> it, I think it is. I don't a glor- find it enjoyable to watch, even as crazy I, as it is. I disagree. I enjoyed it because it was so crazy. Yeah, it's just like boring and scattershot to me. Just so much sitting around doing nothing with. It's just, you know, these big trucks that, yeah, they're large, but they're mm-hmm. so like slow and not the most maneuverable <laughs> things on right. the planet. Oh, yeah. That it feels like they could just run into the trees and, and get away from them and be fine. Like, it doesn't really feel like they're ever trapped there. You you would think so, but man, these uh and these trucks, they get some bodies for sure. They ruin the suspense even more. Like, okay, there's trucks and they're circling the building. Oh my god, that's scary. But then once the the little golf cart thing communicates with them and then they're walking right up to the trucks with like a kind of funny montage of them filling up the tanks and giving the trucks the finger, like there's just no suspense to it at all at that point. <laughs> Uh-huh. I don't know. Just it's just so nuts, man. I don't know. I watched it with a smile on my face. I was like, this is just bonkers. I was like, this this gotta be the only movie Stephen King ever made. Sure enough. Well, uh, I have a quote about that. Um oh. when asked why he hasn't directed a movie since Maximum Overdrive, Stephen King responded, just watch Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, also, in a 2002 interview for the book Hollywood's Stephen King, King stated that he was, quote, coked out of his mind all through its production, and he mm-hmm. really didn't know what he was doing. Man. King himself has described the film as a, quote, moron movie. He considers the process a learning experience, after which he intends to never direct a film again. <laughs> Glorious. Yeah. Uh, the movie has a soundtrack entirely done by ACDC I mean, because they are Stephen King's favorite band, or at least were at the time. 
gets props from me for that one. <laughs> Stephen King originally wanted the lead character to be played by Bruce Springsteen for some reason. Yes, it's the Coke talk at Mills. <laughs> um, yeah, so the the truck with the giant green goblin head on it. Uh, I dug and dug and dug on the internet for information about this, trying to find out why there is a green goblin head on the front of the main truck in the movie. Mm-hmm. And all I could find is that Marvel okayed it. Like, you know, yes. they said, yes, you can do this. I don't know why the decision was made. It's a completely baffling element of the movie to me. There is a prominent giant green goblin head on the front of a truck that murders people. And Marvel Comics back in the mid 80s was like, sure, Stephen King, go ahead. (laughs) You're Stephen King. You can do whatever you want. Just fucking baffling. It's dead. The movie is so nuts. You know, We've talked a lot about like murder trucks and, you know, gun toting golf carts. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I think has the most kills in the entire movie? The soda Is machine? The soda machine. Yeah. It looked like a war zone out there after that soda machine was over. There was dead kids everywhere. I did like that part where it shoots the guy in the head with the soda can and then he lifts his head and it's just like this bloody mess. <laughs> big indent of a soda can in his forehead. Yeah. And then it like pans away and there's just dead kids all over the baseball field. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, and you know, I can let something like this go even more if the movie was good, but I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, okay, machines come to life, but are the, whatever element, whatever force is giving them life, is it making them more powerful Because I don't believe that there is a mechanism naturally in a soda machine that would be able to propel a can like that. So it's like, if you you could bring alive a truck with magic that just like, (laughs) you can drive it without being in it. Yes, a truck can get up to speed and mow someone down or slam into something and explode. Mm -hmm. But a soda machine, it's not mobile. Like, it can't walk around or anything. All it can do is dispense drinks of its own accord. But you couldn't fire a soda can that fast, you know? I mean, like give it give it more juice, Mills, you know? Or the scene with the, um, the electric uh, carving knife at the, the truck stop. Like, it turns on, and if, the, if you're not holding it and the motor's vibrating, like, maybe I could imagine it slowly, like, moving across the surface. But, like, it actually, like, moves. Like, it's not just the blade comes on. It actually moves to cut the woman. Mm -hmm. And then when it's on the floor, it's also moving towards her. Mm -hmm. And at that point in the movie, um, it's, like, right at the beginning. That's the first crazy thing that happens at the truck stop is the electric carving knife comes on. And already Emilio Estevez treats it as though there's something supernatural about it and smashes it with a hammer instead of, say, unplugging it or picking it up by the handle that's not going to hurt you Mm -hmm. just i don't know the movie has so many fucking problems man i think for me now i didn't even realize it i knew it was a stephen king thing i didn't realize it was directed by stephen king till the credits were rolling in the beginning Mm. um i think it just as soon as you see that it's like about being in the tail of a comet how ridiculous that was i was like logic's out the window on this one (laughs) it just felt like i was like well I was um, in Mystery Science Theater just, like, <laughs> busting on this movie while I watched it, and I had a yeah. blast. 
I gotta be honest. But see, like, imagine a version of this movie that's not a ridiculous laughing stock, and it's like a movie that's taken seriously and is cool and has like good kills and stuff, but is about all electronics or mechanical things on Earth mm-hmm. coming alive, and it's done in a way that's not quite so scattershot and sure. and unbelievable. Oh, like if that movie existed and was really good, but the explanation was still we're passing through the tail of a comet. I would be perfectly fine with it, even though it is a little silly sounding, because it's just a base impetus explanation for why this is happening. That's perfectly mm-hmm. fine. Like, the thing that I think is weird is, like, that was enough. We're passing through the tail of a comet that has these properties, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But then at the end, they fucking randomly throw in that there's a UFO. Like, now there's aliens right. involved, and this isn't just some kind of weird freak natural occurrence. Right. Like, that's weird to me. And I think there's conversation in the movie, like some of the characters about like alien life forms are doing this. And then it really draws into question. Like, is it like the machines coming to life or are there like invisible beings of energy controlling everything? And at that point, why does it have to be mechanical or electronic? Like, couldn't they like pick up sticks and swing them at us if they're invisible in their energy? (laughs) Like, like it just, it just nothing makes sense in this movie. You're looking looking for too many answers there, Bill. <laughs> I can't help it, man. Um, oh, I can God. let a lot go if you just stick to your own rules, but it feels like there were no rules in this movie. This was just Stephen King, high as a kite, doing mm. whatever he felt like. I'm not. I'm not sure what you were more harder on this or the. Uh legalities of over the top in the custody battle. <laughs> yeah, I mean <laughs> hey, both are just like <laughs> wildly unbelievable at some point, but you know, you know what I want to say is I want the Maximum Overdrive remake by Robert Rodriguez. Hmm. That's like I feel like he like the, almost in like a planet terror kind of like vibe could make the hell out of a maximum overdrive movie yeah i mean this is a movie where like the base premise i like i would i would watch a remake of this 100 percent. yeah me too (laughs) but i mean this movie is just dumb and crazy yeah both of those things are true (laughs) um i have one more bit of trivia about this movie i'm not sure if you saw this uh, did you hear about the accident that occurred on set? Nope. So there is a scene, and all this just sounds so much worse when you know that Stephen King was just like fucking coked out of his mind, just like leaning back in his chair, staring at the sky and yelling action. Mm-hmm. But um, <clears throat> there's a scene with a radio-controlled lawnmower that went out of control, struck a block of wood that was like holding up a camera, and sent splinters flying everywhere. The director of photography on the movie lost his right eye because a fucking oh. splinter got launched into it by a remote control lawnmower. Jesus. He sued Stephen King and they settled out of court. Can you imagine? Just imagine being the guy who is bl- who lost one of his eyes, is blinded in one of his eyes, thanks to the movie Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> blinded, blinded by a horrible movie. Just, man, that guy. Amazing. I feel so bad for him. <laughs> That's horrible. Man, brutal. That's the scariest thing about the movie to me, because you know I have a thing with eyes. <laughs> That's true. Should have put that in there. <laughs> yeah, they might have gotten sued for something else mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm.
Man. So that's Murder maximum overdrive. <laughs> um, shall we talk about a couple of posters here? Oh, yes, please. So we got the poster for the car, which kind of simple. It's like uh, mm-hmm. close up of the front of the car at an angle with uh, bright yellow headlight beams coming out. Yep. And then a couple of silhouettes running in fear from the car. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost kind of like simple and graphic. Yeah, it almost feels like a propaganda poster. Or yeah, something. a little bit. It actually does. Or it feels like a a poster for like a movie from the 1940s or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'd agree. It's and got it's a kind of cool on. to it, though. It's It does. It's got the car is so weird that it is recreated like it is in the movie. So mm-hmm. that's a weird one for sure. Poster says, is it a phantom, a demon, or the devil himself? There's Dun-dun-dun. nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. No way to stop the car. <laughs> Man, old movie posters love to have words. I just noticed also, can you see in the logo where it says the car? There's a little scene oh, yeah. of the car chasing some people with its headlights on them. Oh, yeah. Double car duty on that one. All about it. But yeah, I, I don't know. I like this. I like how graphic and simple it is. I do too. I mean, I think he kind of nailed it with like looking. It looks like it's from the 40s or something. Yeah. It just looks like a. it's, I don't know. It has a very, a very, I think propaganda poster also kind of fits it as well, like the painted uh-huh. look to it. Um, it almost feels like uh, like a poster for Metropolis or something. Mm-hmm. Just, it has that look to it. I don't know. Yeah, I like it, I'm though. Yeah. Ditto. Uh, the poster uh, cr- for Christine. Man, this would be such a great poster if it wasn't for all the endless text. <laughs> yeah, there's so much text. It's on just this too one. much. I guess if I can enlarge the image enough to be able to read this tiny text, I'll give this one the business as well. Uh, how do you kill something that can't possibly be alive? She was born bad, plain and simple. Somewhere deep on a darkened assembly line, Christine, a 58 Plymouth Fury, possessed by hell... She's taken control of her teenage owner, Arnie. Her previous owner is not alive to warn him. And now she's steering him, or steering straight for the one person in her way, Arnie's girlfriend, Lee. Uh, what does it say below that? The other woman. The other woman. <laughs> That's just too much fucking text. Like, they basically gave a plot synopsis of the movie. I'm, say, I'm not sure <laughs> if I've ever seen another movie poster that spells out the entire plot of the movie. Yeah. Imagine how much better it would be if it didn't have that block of text and it just said, how can, how do you kill something that can't possibly be alive? Yes. With that image, it's like, it honestly, it reminds me a little bit of the poster for The Thing. Oh, big time. Because The Thing is like a partial silhouette of like a person in a snowsuit with like a bright bluish white light coming from behind them. And this Mm -hmm. is basically the same thing. It's like a head-on shot of Christine with the lights on. And then there's like a bluish glow from behind it, and the car's mostly yeah. in silhouette. It's kind it's of a cool awesome image. Picture. It is. It, it's a great image, but man, way too wordy. Even like the the logo's too small, and then like all the credits below it are huge. Mm-hmm. It's just like very weird decisions made on this one. Also, it's a little surprising that they went with such a blue look, considering that the car is bright red. But then, like, it, I feel like the red in the Christine logo kind of clashes with everything because it's the only thing that's not blue or black or white on the whole poster. Right. Yeah, I would have. Th- I would have said just make Christine the logo itself a lot bigger and just been plain white. Mm-hmm. 
I know it's a great image, but man, yeah, I'm tired just from hearing you read it. <laughs> yeah, and I couldn't find a really high res picture, so I'm like, I blew it up on my phone, and I'm like, trying to read these blurry ass words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now you got a headache. Oh, mm-hmm. there's so many of them. Damn it, Christine. And then finally, we have Maximum Overdrive, which. <laughs> I mean, this is flat out the the worst like, poster we've come across for sure. <laughs> I find it hard to believe that this one we settled on because there's a lot of posters out there for Maximum Overdrive, mm-hmm. but apparently this one is the American theatrical release poster, and it is hideous. It's um, terrible. Basically, it's it's more of an ad for Stephen King. Yeah. So you've got like a white bar at the bottom with like all the credits in it. And then there's like an image, but it's inside of this thick black border. So the actual poster image itself is like half the size of the poster. Mm-hmm. And it's like a montage art and photo. So you've got um, the two leads, Emilio Estevez and the girl, like tiny in front. And then large in the background is like the side of a truck with a big tear in it. And an actual photo of Stephen King's head popping out, holding a like a little marionette thing with wires coming down to all of these drawn trucks, as though like Stephen King is controlling the trucks as they attack. It's the stupidest thing. Like he's yeah, I don't even understand. He's coming out of the tear in the side of a truck. <laughs> yeah. It's just the dumb, it's the worst. It's just like purple and red lighting. That None of this feels indicative of the film. Not even, no. You'd... And yeah, it. the text at the top says, Stephen King's masterpiece of terror directed by the master himself. <laughs> so bad. It's just, this thing is hideous. Like, you know, when I was looking for a poster, I didn't think that this other one that I sent you was the right one because I just didn't believe that uh, American theaters in the 80s would put an image this graphic on a poster in a movie theater. But mm-hmm. you said it was the French version? Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of the Oh, text yeah, I see the French. foreign language at the top. So much better. It's like a oh. straight on shot of the front of a truck. It's all painted. And it's like the grill on the front of the truck is ripped open and there's a body hanging out and blood everywhere. Mm-hmm. That is a fucking poster. Like, that is a yeah. great image. Because it, you know, it doesn't show you anything from the movie, but it's still it's better than anything you see in the movie. Yeah, this is one of those instances. Like, it's a classic thing that everybody kind of knows. That like, you know, if you were in the video store back in like the eighties and you were looking at like horror movies and trying to pick one you want to watch, the box art is typically better than the movie itself. Mm-hmm. And some studios, that's just how they marketed stuff. Like Canon Films, like make a really great poster and trick people into seeing your movie. Like a hundred percent. This French poster is better than Maximum Overdrive. Like, I'd look at this picture <laughs> for an hour and a half before I would watch Maximum Overdrive again. Because there's so much to see in this painting. Oh, that was perfect. But, yeah, this American poster is fucking hideous. Yeah. Just the combination of, like, the drawings and the photos, the color mm-hmm. scheme, how tiny the image is within the poster itself. Right. The marionette part. Oh, it's bad. It's just, it's just or, terrible. Or... Fucking awful. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I got I honestly I think that the best poster here is the car. Yeah, I agree. It's just like a cool, simple graphic image. Christine it seems close, but man, they they blew it. They didn't stick the landing. 
Yeah, they, you know, they had all the elements that you need for a good poster, and then they just fucking overdid it. Yep. And Maximum Overdrive, this thing is... Just horrid. It's an affront to movie posters everywhere. (laughs) It's a crime against poster (laughs) humanity. Yeah. A crime against advertising. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, we'll post... Those will be posted with the Instagram, so everyone can see. Yeah. How terrible it is. It's rough. We got to post mm-hmm. the French one too, though, because that's an awesome fucking yeah, poster. Yeah, good call. Yeah, we'll do that. Man, I love that thing. I would hang mm-hmm. that on my goddamn wall, and I don't even <laughs> oh, like the movie. Where's my Millsy Christmas list? <laughs> <laughs> if you if you buy me that for Christmas, I will 100% hang that on my wall. All right, remember you said that. Right next to my Little Shop of Horrors Mondo poster. Oh, there you go. Nice. <sighs> All right, uh, bye, borrow, burn Ooh. time. Oh, yes, please. Uh Tell the people, Mills. I know that I waffle a lot at the last minute on my buy, borrow, burns on this show. Mm-hmm. Not today. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think an argument could be made. I, I think it's possible that an argument could be made that Maximum Overdrive is the better movie than the car. But this guy doesn't buy it. Um. Maximum Overdrive gets the Joe Daxberger seal of approval being launched into the sun. <laughs> I'll sign off on that right now. Uh, the car, you know, it's not a great movie by any means, but it's more of a movie than Maximum Overdrive is to me. <laughs> with oh. like a beginning, a middle, and an end. Like, Maximum Overdrive doesn't have an ending. It has a block of text on a black screen. Mosey, that's an ending. Russian weather balloons is an ending. <laughs> Uh, maximum camera. overdrive was like an ex- a failed experiment to me, and you know Yardley Smith is r- is right to be ashamed of it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm gonna burn maximum overdrive. I'm gonna borrow the car, and I'll buy the shit out of Christine any day because it's a really good movie. All right. Well, Millsy. Yes. I'm gonna buy Christine. Clearly, of course. I mean, technically, our, I didn't, but you did, and gave me the digital code for it. Yeah, I actually bought Christine twice because I forgot that I had it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think yes. I gifted somebody the Blu-ray, and I gave you the digital code for uh-huh. one of them. Yeah, so that worked out quite well. It's an easy buy. The movie is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, Blu-ray's no... good, too, um, but, man, I would kill for, like, Shout Factory or someone to put out, mm. put out a version of this yeah, with even more sure. special features, but... Yeah, good movie. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to uh, borrow Maximum Overdrive. Oh, Joe Dex. <laughs> Willsie, all I could say to the people is, I don't even necessarily think like the car should be thrown into the sun, like I've said about many movies. Because the car is like worth seeing, but man, if you just know like going into Maximum Overdrive, how ridiculous it is. And like basically you can just kind of like make fun of it the whole time you watch it it made me i just had a good time doing it because it was just so ridiculous did you watch this one with megan by any chance oh no she would she doesn't like anything that's machines coming alive and killing people <laughs> she's got she's got like real problems with that so no i was like oh it's three i watch a three murder car movie she's like nope i'm out all right <laughs> no surprise there um i mean the car is entertaining but it's also and it's even like kind of the reason, like there's nothing like real exciting in the car where 
I'm not even necessarily saying things are exciting. I was gonna say, please tell Maximum me what's overdrive, exciting. Maximum but it's, overdrive, but it's just more. It's just more like zany out there, crazy. Like you, people should want to see the one time. You know, Stephen King had like a coke fever dream in a, you know, as a movie. It just feels like, and then you know, it's more iconic with the, the Green Goblin truck. I don't know. It's I just, wish I could find out why why the green goblin truck but there's no information out there seriously but it's just even now i'm just like smiling thinking about like how just the whole experience of watching that movie just opening with the me not knowing a goddamn thing about that movie to quickly finding out that it's got like an entire acdc soundtrack and it's about (laughs) the earth being in the (laughs) tail of a comet i was like this movie is just too nuts that i would say it's worth borrowing just to see it for yourself, like it, like any good, terrible movie. Well, I don't own it, so you can't borrow it from me. I'll say that. Well, <laughs> fair enough. I don't I own the car either, bo- but Tony does. I borrowed it from the library. <laughs> I didn't know how you were going to come on this one. I was pretty sure Christine was going to get the W, but I don't know. Yeah. I thought you would have been more like seeing the craziness of Maximum Overdrive, but. Maximum Overdrive is crazy, but it's just like it's, I know it's you hardly like even a movie. Nits. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's like a setup, and then it just kind of stews in its own juices for a while, and then doesn't have an ending. I don't know, man. I was sure you'd love the uh, the GI Joe uh, golf cart showing up. <laughs> it is but... funny when that of all things shows up. <laughs> like they couldn't have found a better military vehicle. No. It's literally like I don't know, maybe like a. Like a six by eight flat wooden platform. Yep. With like with a, a steering wheel. With, with a steering wheel. <laughs> like you kind of just. It. it looks like you kind of just like sit on the edge of it, and your your feet hang over <laughs> to pedals. Yeah, and then out of the middle of it is just like a four foot tall metal pole with a machine gun mounted on top. Yep. Just. Yeah, I I don't know, man. Couldn't do I don't it. Know. Couldn't do it. All right. Couldn't, Fair enough. Couldn't borrow that one. Had to burn it. These, these things happen. <laughs> I'm glad that you got some enjoyment out of it. <laughs> I really didn't. Uh. <clears throat> that movie being in existence was not worth a man losing sight in one eye. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the per- the positives don't outweigh that's the it. negatives there that's for it. me. Don't, don't say another thing. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best tagline for a movie. <laughs> Not worth the price of one man's eye. Uh, that's how I feel, legitimately. <laughs> Poor fucking man. I just imagine like he's flipping through TV. I don't know if he's still alive, but uh, he's just flipping through TV and like he comes across maximum overdrive and just a tear falls out of his good eye. Great grandkids are like, oh, great granddad loses his eye. <laughs> Someone's just like, maximum overdrive. Uh, uh. <clears throat> anyway, shall we pick uh, what we're watching next? Shall we? <clears throat> All right. So at the current <sighs> time, we've got 192 possible uh, trios of films to. To choose from, or for go. the random number generator to choose from. Yep, I got a hot hand here, Millsy. Let's go. I'm ready. And 
Oh, Millsy, you're going to love this. Is it a high number for a change? 189. Oh, one. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, <laughs> somebody is going to know what this is pretty much the second they hear it because we actually got this idea from a listener. Uh-huh. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> Next episode, episode 18 of Triple Threat Theater is going to be the theme sci-fi suplex. I'm so excited I can hardly even get the words out. Uh, Sci-fi suplex is the uh, theme for the next episode. Coming in hot. Yeah. Oh, Mills. So. Oh, this show. (laughs) What have we done? This is going to be fascinating. (laughs) This really is going to be something. Oh, boy. And a high number, finally. I'm ready. Yeah, wow, yeah. This is by far the highest number we've ever gotten. Mm-hmm. <sighs> All right, so. All right. Yeah, uh, until next time, listener who uh, gave us the idea for this, please don't spoil it for anybody. Yes, please. Um, and until we uh, reconvene to talk about these movies in a couple of weeks, my name is Ryan Miller. And I'm Joe Daxberger. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, 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 happy.